0: to another hope-filled message from life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. In the meantime right here right now you've got me okay so so lean in and give me your best and let the preacher in you out you know in in every meeting there are two preachers there's the guy or gal who's up here today that happens to be me but there's always that person sitting in your seat and that is you and so as I preach at you I want you to preach back at me because there's power in agreement okay so you can preach back at me and the more you preach back at me the more I'll preach back at you and we'll just leave preached out how does that sound yeah. Fantastic. A quick photo of our family. If you don't mind, there they are. This is Mitch on the end, my one and only son. Mitchell means in God. He's my one and only son, which makes him like Jesus. And he's here, there, and everywhere. So it's like the Holy Spirit. So he's just an amazing kid. And he's just turned 18. And he's in his final year of school. Just about to do his year 12 exams. Then we have Jordan, our oldest daughter. She is 20 years of age. And she's just an amazing kid. Love her to bits. And then our youngest, our youngest, Bailey, we call her BJ. And she's 12 years of age. There's a little bit of a gap between two and three. And we don't regret it at all. Three is good. My only mild regret is that I didn't have four kids. That's all I'm saying. Just a mild, <laughs> mild regret. But uh, maybe you can you know, make up for where we missed out that opportunity. Just no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Um, but uh, there they are. They're our family. Mitch, Jordan and Bailey. And they send their love. They, they just love being part of the church. They love being part of our family. It's a real privilege to be able to lead them and call them our children. Mitchie on the end there, he's an amazing kid and uh, when when he was younger, he just loved climbing and I don't know if you remember me telling the story last year but uh, when he was born, he was born with certain complications surrounding his birth and uh, as a result, he has no left hand really, he has no fingers, no digits on his left hand but that didn't stop him and his desire to climb things, he was always climbing. He was climbing trees from a very early age and he was never he had no fear. He would just climb tree after tree after tree. But I'll never forget this one particular day, he climbed so high up this tree, he got stuck. And the laughter, the giggles and the fun gave way to frustration because he couldn't get down. So the fun gave way to frustration and then the frustration gave way to fear. And the giggles and the laughter and the joy turned into, Dad, help. I'm stuck. And I thought if I go up and help him, there'll be two of us stuck up the tree. (laughs) So I had to help him step by step until he was able to get down on the ground. And that little moment in my life was not just a moment for me and my son, but it actually became an illustration because I feel that many of us in life tend to get stuck from time to time. Maybe you've been stuck in an exam. You're kind of looking at the blank page and you're thinking... and you're just stuck. All the things that you've learned over the year, just you, just, you forget and you get stuck. Have you ever been stuck in an exam? Maybe you have been stuck in traffic. And maybe you're as impatient as Daniel is when he's stuck in traffic. Really, he was picking me up uh, and Kath up yesterday from the airport. And he did. A, he's a great driver. He's just very impatient, that's all. And... <laughs> And we hear some traffic and he's like, oh, and, and, and I know you're on your best behaviour. You're behaving. And, and I thought, if I wasn't in the car, I think he'd be saying some other things. And so there he's doing a quick left and trying to make a shortcut. And the shortcut was probably longer after all. But hey, and no judgement because that's me. Uh, no judgement. I, I, I hate being stuck in traffic. Two years ago, 2016, I found myself stuck in hospital. Not for one week, not for two weeks, but three weeks. And that's not easy for anyone, particularly for a guy like me, who's got ADD, ADHD, LMNOP. I've got every letter of the alphabet. I think I shared that last time. And so it was difficult. But maybe you've experienced being stuck. Maybe you feel stuck right now. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job. Maybe you feel stuck in a loveless and lifeless marriage. Maybe you feel stuck in a cycle of cynicism. Or a cycle of regret. I'm here this morning to share with you a message of hope that can help you step out of stuck. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is simply this, Stepping Out of Stuck. Stepping Out of Stuck. You see, Solomon, who was one of the wisest men that ever lived, who wrote Proverbs a book in the Old Testament, he says this, that their life is like a compilation of seasons. But if we're not careful, seasons can turn into a compilation of cycles. You see, there's a difference between a season and a cycle. Seasons change with time. It's so good to be with you in Melbourne in the change of a season. Melbourne is traditionally known... For having wet, cold winters, much like Adelaide. And and if you're like me, I'm not a fan of wet, cold winters. But the good thing about wet, cold winters is it's just a season. Thank God it's just a season. And we are coming to a change of season. And so what's happening, we're seeing the sun come out. We're seeing the the, the warmth and feeling the warmth in the air. The birds are singing. the, The trees are sprouting. We're in a change of seasons. Seasons change with time, but a cycle doesn't change with time. In seasons, we, 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 we rug up in the winter, but we shed our clothing as spring comes because it's a change of season. But you can be in the dead of winter or the heat of summer, but if you're in a cycle, the way you felt in the dead of winter and the heat of summer is exactly the same. There's a difference between a season and a cycle. A cycle is a season that we get stuck in. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. I don't know if you ever saw that movie Groundhog Day. And uh, this man wakes up and every morning he wakes up to the same song and experiences the same things. And I think it's a picture of many people's lives. We just get stuck in the same old, same old, same old. But the good news is, church, that we don't have to stay stuck. We can actually step out of being stuck and step out of the rut that we find ourselves in from time to time. And you can be the uh, greatest Christian on the planet. You can have a great marriage. You can have a great job. But I want to tell you, none of us are, susceptible, are not susceptible to getting into these moments in our lives. And so I want to do, if you would just turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I want to read a portion of the scripture, Mark chapter 10, reading from verse 46. It says this. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and His disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I wanna see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. I love this portion of the text. We have a a man that the Bible names as Bartimaeus. And I love that thought, that God knew this man's name. And the good news for each and every one of us in this room, no matter how stuck you may be, there is a God who knows you and He knows you by name. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. And that may frighten some of you. He knows everything about me. That's the amazing thing about our God is that we are fully known. That is, He knows everything about us, the good, the bad and the ugly. But unlike many other people, in spite of our ugly, we are fully loved. We are fully known and we are fully loved. And this man was known by God and he knew His name. God knows your name. You are not alone. If you are visiting for the very first time today and you're just sitting back there sussing out this whole thing called life, this whole thing called church, this whole thing called singing and and, and preaching and and you don't quite understand it, hey, I want to say thanks for coming. You are in the right place. This building was built with you in mind. And I want you to know that in the heart of Craig and Nadia, they had a sneaking suspicion that one day you were coming and today's that day and we celebrate you being with us today. You are known by God. Isn't that an amazing thing? God knows you. And this man by the name of Bartimaeus, it says that he was blind. Now, we don't know why he was blind. He may have been born blind. He may have had an accident that made him blind. He may have um, had a disease that he went blind slowly over time. But the blindness speaks of something that was out of his control. And maybe you're experiencing something today that's out of your control. And uh, you kind of lamenting and regretting and and wishing and only if. And I I just wish it could have been different. But this man had a a condition that was out of his control. And every one of us face things that are out of our control. The good news is there's answers for us today. It says that this man was sitting on the roadside as people passed him by. Maybe you feel a little bit like Bartimaeus today sitting on the roadside and everyone is passing you by. You thought you'd be in a different place and you're just watching people just overtake you and go on to bigger and better things. Bartimaeus was in that position and in that situation. And there he was, not only on the roadside, having people pass him by, but he was begging I believe that Bartimaeus and perhaps many of us today take up vocations and make decisions based upon we think that's all there is to do, that our options are limited. Sometimes it's society that can put things on us and we believe what society says about us. And so when society says, you're just a beggar, you're just no good, you're just a blind man, we start to believe the lie of the enemy, we start to believe the lie of society and the things that they put on us. But I want you to remember today this, this one thought, that where you are is not who you are. The good news is wherever you are in life right now is not who you are. Bartimaeus was stuck. But he saw Jesus. He saw an opportunity. And he did something about it. And I believe today, like Bartimaeus, if we want to step out of stuck, there are some steps that we have to take. See, seasons change with time, but cycles change with us. Seasons change with time, but cycles change with us. And I want to look at four steps that Bartimaeus took in order for him to step out of his stuckness that you and I also will need to take if we want to step out of stuck. And if you're in a great place today and you don't feel stuck, that's fantastic. Put this away. And uh, when you find yourself stuck in a week, a month, a year, or whatever it is from now, just remember these are the things that you can do in those seasons of your life. Because one of the toughest things when we preach is to try and preach to everyone, knowing we're all in different seasons of life. Some of you are just about to get married and you're just like, hurry up, preacher. I just want to get married. You're not even listening. God bless you. Uh, And others are going through the toughest time and then you've got many, many people in between the highs and the lows that we face. So wherever you're at in, in life, Maybe this is for you right now. Maybe it's for you into the future. But take notes and have a listen, and I trust you'll be blessed. Amen. Father, I pray today that you would anoint my words, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, and the work of my hands would be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God. And I pray that you'd anoint us to hear and see what the Spirit of God is saying through this message today. In Jesus' name. Amen. The first step we see that Bartimaeus takes, number one, is desire. Everyone shout out at me, desire. Desire is that strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. It means to beg, to ask, to call out. In other words, it's not passive. It's something that's almost aggressive. It's something we get on the front foot. It's something we can't let go of. It's something that we lock onto because we have a deep desire and it comes from the inside of us. It's not just a fleeting thought. It's something that's birthed on the inside of us and we want to see things changed for the better. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was in town, he saw an opportunity for things to change for him. He'd heard that Jesus had done miracles before. And he thought, maybe, just maybe, if I could get Jesus' attention. And this desire caused him to, to shout out, Jesus, Jesus have mercy on me. And it's amazing when we get a desire on the inside of us, you would think everyone around you would be excited for you. You'd think everyone would be happy for you. But what I've learned is not everyone's as happy for you and your future as you are for you and your future. And sometimes your desire can just get in the way of their life and, can, and just make them look a little bit embarrassed and make life a little bit awkward for them. But what I love about Barnum is he didn't care what other people thought. He wanted to step out of what he was sitting in for so long and he began to shout all the more. And I love that thought. Everything starts with desire. Desire is pivotal for our outcomes. You know, in my teenage years, I remember being about 18 years of age, in love with my then girlfriend, in love with our church, in love with Jesus, in love with my pastor. I looked up to him as a man of God and, 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 and I just, I just love life. And I looked around at some of the older people in the church and they didn't seem to have the same zeal or passion or, or, or excitement that i was carrying in my heart and i thought this i just didn't add up to me i thought how is it that you know so much more about life and so much more about god and so much more about the scriptures than me surely that would equal more excitement but i found that as some people got older they got more miserable i just i just it just it just it, i just didn't add up to me It just didn't, it doesn't make sense. I I thought, man, I love Jesus now and I don't even know anything. Imagine when I start reading the Scriptures and imagine you know, after years of searching the Scriptures, surely I'm gonna know more about God and to know Him is to love Him and to love Him is to change our lives. And it didn't make sense to me. But instead of using other people as my benchmark, God bless them, I I drew a line in the sand and I had this deep desire and it formulated what I call my life verse. And, And there was three things that I wanted for my life. And, and I remember it came, out of, it came out of a deep place. It wasn't just a fleeting thought because what I d- didn't want to do is become one of those young guys complaining about the old guys. And if you're young here today and you're agreeing with what I'm saying, then, then don't use that to have a go at older people. Use it to develop something in you that can live with you all the days of your life. And, and so this deep desire formulated what I call my life verse. And I said, what would I say to a 50-year-old version of myself? What, 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 could I, what could I say now in my bright-eyed, bushy-tailedness of my youth that could keep me accountable throughout my 20s, my 30s and my 40s that when I stand as a 50-year-old man, I can thank God for that 18-year-old kid? And I come up with these three things. I wanted the body of a young man. <laughs> because I just, I just saw a lot of people in ministry, particularly back in the day, didn't value their bodies and didn't value their health. It wasn't of any importance and that reflected in their health and it reflected in their energy levels and I just didn't want that. I wasn't there to point a finger, I was just there to cement something in my spirit. Starts with desire, your desire is a pivotal to life. And the second thing is I wanted the wisdom of an older man. And I just didn't want to make all the young dumb decisions that many of my friends were making. And I wanted, I wanted to, ha- how can I have wisdom that is beyond my years? And, and I learned the wisdom of hanging around older people. In my 18 years of age, uh, I, I hung around a lot of people that were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, people who were much older than me, much more experienced, and I'd ask questions. I'd ask questions before I made decisions. Th- th- that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Ask someone who's older and wiser and more mature than you are uh, before you make a decision about the wisdom of that decision. And then I would say, listen to them. And, and I just placed myself in the place of learning, and the place of listening. Because I just wanted the wisdom of an older man. Where did that come from? It came from a desire. I didn't want to, I, I love my friends, but gee, they were making dumb decisions. And I didn't want to be that judgmental guy. I just wanted to be different. I just didn't, didn't want to live like that. And so when I was 19 years of age, I, I was able to buy my first home. It was amazing, brand new home. I, I built it from scratch, 19 years of age. It was an amazing thing because none of my friends were doing that. You said, how did you do that? I literally saved money because someone told me to. That person was older and wiser than me. And then, I, then they said, why don't you put on a deposit in a house and of splurging on your Tirana SLR 5000 that I wanted. And so I just, I just did what I was told because I realised that they were older, wiser people than me and, and it set me up for a win. And the third thing was, I wanted the spirit of a godly man. No matter what happens to me, no matter what I see, no matter who loves me or hates me, no matter who leaves our church or comes to our church, I don't, base, I don't want my relationship with God to be based on those external things. I want to get better, not bitter. And it came out of a, it came out of a deep place. It wasn't just a, a fleeting thought. Desire is pivotal to outcomes. So my question to you is, what is it that you really desire? Not just a fleeting thought, but what do you really desire? Desire. Desire, desire is, is a deep thing. You can see from Bartimaeus' response, he wanted something. You know, if someone tells you to be quiet and you actually are quiet, then you didn't really want it. All power to hope. Say, like, I want that. I want that. I want that. I, I, I love that thought. You know, kids can teach us a lot. They, they're, just, they're tenacious. They just kind of want everything. And I, you know. But what, what is it that you, you want? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? That's not a bad day. Secondly, the second step is this, decide. Got to decide. It starts with desire. Then we have to make some decisions. Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what do you want? Now Jesus was a prophetic man. He was an intuitive man. So he wasn't having a bad day. It wasn't like Jesus was tired and sick of his disciples and how long must I put up with you? Now this guy blind. yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want? It wasn't that. This was Jesus asking a deeper question. What he was asking is, do you really want to see? This question, what do you want? And I think sometimes God waits for us to answer that question. What, what do you want? Wanna be healed? I, I, I want to be able to see, I want more money, I, I want better health. And I think God's waiting for us to say, Do you really want that? Because more money, more responsibility. Do you really want that? Yeah. Legacy giving is coming up soon. And, and so you want more money? Is, is that to, for yourself or is that to give into the church and the future of life? And do, do you really want more money? Because more money means more responsibility. Yeah. And I think Jesus was using this moment so cool. to ask Bartimaeus a deeper question. Do you really want this? Yeah. Because if if you... If you get what you want, things are going to change for you. Your location is going to change. Your vocation is going to change. Do you know that it's hard to get money. It's one thing to get money for, beg for money for as a blind man. But to sit there on the side of the road and ask for money as an ex-blind man is a little bit different. There's not much money for an ex-blind man. Are there any Monty Python Python fans out there? Anyone? Anyone? There's a few. There's just a few. Well, one of my favourite Monty Python movies is The Life of Brian. Don't judge me. I like my movies. And there's this little scene. I'll never forget it. There's this this man running around and he's saying, arms for an ex-leper, arms for an ex-leper. Arms simply means money. Money for an ex-leper, money for an ex-leper. And he's stopped by one of the disciples and says, "What, what do you mean? Arms for an ex-leper, and he said this. He said, "Here, yeah, some do-gooder named Jesus came along and healed me." <laughs> and, and I feel sometimes God answers our prayers. We get what we say we want, but then we don't like the responsibility we have now. You can't stay on the side of the road, having people pass you by, asking for money when you've actually been healed. It's going to change. You can't sit on the side of the road anymore. You can't beg anymore. You're going to have to go to university. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to provide for yourself. Do you want that? You say you're stuck, but but what do you want? And we have to make a decision. I'll never forget when our pastor came to me and we were having lunch and he asked me this question. Have you ever thought, and this is among other questions, but the question that it landed on was, have you ever thought of starting your own church? And to be honest, I never had. It wasn't something I desired. It wasn't something we talked about. But for two years prior to that meeting, I'd been running around my brother's house and praying every morning from 5.30, 30. just that God would do something. I don't know what in my future looks like, God, but I know you have something great. I know you have something big. I know you have something different. I know you have something unusual. Yes. I'm not normal. I've been told that my whole life. And so that means I've got something special on my life. People say I'm not normal. I said, well, kind of true. I'm just unique. That's what I am. And so are you. We are unique. And I was just crying out to God, very generic prayers. But when my pastor said, have you ever thought about starting your own church? And I said to him, I haven't. But what are you implying? He said, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to start your own church. And I knew like I knew like I knew that that was my next season. And so I never prayed about that. I decided. I just said yes there and then on the spot. When we first started the church and I told that story, people didn't get it. They said, what do you mean you didn't pray? I said, no, you're missing the point. I've been praying for two years. That was my answer. That was my answer. Sometimes I think we pray, we get an answer, then we pray again. I think God's saying sometimes, stop praying. I heard you, I've answered you, you keep ignoring me. See, there are some things that need to be prayed about and there are other things that need to be decided upon. Should I take this job or should I go to university? Speak to me, God. Just do whatever. Do whatever. Oh, God, I'm going to. Just make a decision. Is this setting some people free today? Make a decision. Second step is decide. Third step is declare. Declare. Everyone say declare. See, words create worlds. The world in which we live was created by the Word of God. God said, let there be light and there was light. I love that thought. He said, let there be and there was. Let there be animals and there were. And some of the creativity that God used in creating animals is just just freakish, to say the least. I mean, who would have ever dreamt up a giraffe? I mean, they are one of the freakiest animals ever. Particularly when, you know, they go to drink and they're just kind of like... freaky and and God just said Poor, let there be I love that God's not working up a sweat he's not in the workshop he's a poo, 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 poo. just just speaking because words create worlds your words will create your world and, and I love Bartimaeus's response I, I feel uh, this is me adding a little bit to scripture which you shouldn't do but bear with me I think Bartimaeus says Jesus I know where you're going I know what you're saying You're asking me if I really want this. Well, let me tell you, I want to see. I know I can't be a beggar anymore. I know I can't sit on the side of the road anymore. I know I might have to go to university. I know that I'm going to have to get a job, but I want you to know I want to see. And He declares boldly and confidently what He wants to do. You see, our voice is powerful. Why? Because it locates us. It helps us to know where we're at. Our words locate us. If you're oh, poor old man, I'm in there. nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'll eat worms. It's locates where you're at. That's not a good place, by the way. Our words not only locate us, but our words commit us. They commit us. When I was 18 years of age and I came up with that life mantra, those words, I, I was committed to something. I'm less than 100 days away from my 50th birthday. And I thank God for that 18-year-old punk of a kid who didn't know much, but he knew enough to declare boldly some things over my life that have held me all the years. And when people said, what do you want to go to the gym for? What do you want to do that for? Stop it, stop it, stop it. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I I remember saying many times, why? Because I don't want to be like you. In love. I said that in love. What are you saying about your situation? What are you saying about your circumstance? In Joel chapter 3, verse 10, one of my favourite verses, he says, Let the weakling say, I am strong. Didn't say let the weakling say, I'm weak. You say, oh, but, but I feel like if, if I said I'm strong, I'd be lying. Now, don't, don't go by your feelings. You've you got to declare the Word of God over your life. Not your feelings. I love that in Romans chapter 4, Abraham, our father of our faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. But he didn't allow the promises of God to be thwarted in his life by how he felt or because of the circumstances. He knew and he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. And so he declared boldly, I will be the father of a multitude. We have to start declaring and getting on the same page of God. This is the power of our Confession. Not power of positive thinking. You know, for me, it's, 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 it's in my blood to be positive. You know why? Because my blood type is be positive. I just have to be positive. But, but I'm not talking about positivity here. I'm talking about confessing what God says. Because the word confess means to say what God says. Not whatever you want. God will give you the desires of your heart and you say something, whatever you want. And it's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about aligning our words with the Word of God. And the Bible says, I'm strong. And so we, even though I feel weak, I can say I'm strong. Even though I feel like giving up and feel like giving in, I can boldly, declare, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stand my ground. I don't feel strong enough, but I have one on the inside of me who's far greater than the one who's in the world. And I'm going to stand on that and stand on that alone. I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to stand and be bold and be courageous. Are you with me? The power of confession. That's why it's important that we read the Word of God every morning. Not because we're Christians and we have to. God forbid. Because we love God, we want to know Him more. If you're reading your Bible because you feel like I have to, you're reading it for the wrong reason. We want to read the Word of God so that we know God more. We know what He says about me and the circumstances that I'm in so that we can declare what He says about the situation and not what I feel. Because sometimes my feelings don't line up with the Word of God and I've got to surrender my feelings to the Word of God and what I speak locates whether I really believe it or not. So let the weakling say, I am strong. We have a man in our church by the name of Greg Downton and he was diagnosed with motor neurons disease a couple of years ago. Horrible disease. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. The way he has conducted his life is inspirational to say the least. And over the last couple of years, we've had a couple of Sunday nights, we've opened up the couch, we've had him on it, and just asked him how he's going, and just asked him a heap of questions, and everyone just gets inspired. The last time we had the opportunity to speak to him and his wife, Kath and I were on the couch with him and his wife, Jean, he said this statement, I'll never forget it, and it's blessed me and, and so many others. He said this, he says, I have motor neurons disease. But motor neurons disease does not have me. I love that. Because there's faith, there's reality. I have motor neurons disease, but there's faith. Motor neurons does not have me. I love the power of his confession. And as a result, he's defied the doctor's diagnosis already. He's doing much better. And he wants to make the most of his pain. If you're going through a painful season, can I say this? Make the most of your pain. When I was in hospital for three weeks and almost died because of a blood infection, I remember coming through that, getting my strength back. I said, devil, I'm going to so use this against you. And I've had this incredible privilege to go around the world and share my story and encourage people because I don't want to waste my pain. Every season, there's a lesson to learn. The good season, learn your lesson. In the tough season, learn your lesson. Let's not waste our pain. Are you with me? With four minutes on the clock. Here we go. Number four, do. You may have noticed they. Four things, and they all start with D, to make it real easy to remember. It says, immediately Bartimaeus followed Jesus. See, for all of our great times in church, all of our great times with God alone, reading the Bible, there comes a moment in life where we have to put into practice that which we've prayed about, that which we've learnt, that which we've read. We have to put it into practice. You see, God is not going to do for you what He expects you to do for yourself. When the Israelites wandered through the desert for 40 years, their shoes never wore out. Food was always at their disposal. God provided for them every day of those 40 years. But the moment they crossed over the River Jordan and entered the promised land, the land flowing of milk and honey, guess what happened? The miraculous provision stopped. God still provided, but it came in another form. The provision wasn't manna from heaven. The provision was fruit on the trees that needed to be planted, that needed to be watered, that needed to grow, that needed to be nurtured, that needed to be picked, that needed to be peeled, that needed to be eaten. God is not going to do for us what He expects us to do for ourselves. I thank God that Jesus is in the business of helping us do what He expects us to do. Here's the good news, He doesn't leave us alone. He does expect us to do what we can do for ourselves, but He wants us to do that with Him. God has given us many great gifts. Probably the greatest of all is the Holy Spirit to help us put these four steps into practice. I I realise for some of you, what I'm asking today is really tough but it's not beyond you because God has given His Spirit to help each and every one of us. If we can have the keys come, that'd be great. Maybe the band, that would also be excellent. God has not left us alone. And every step we have to take, He's there with us. When my son was stuck up that tree, I couldn't physically get him down myself and do it for him. But I was there with him every step of the way. Put your left foot down on the next branch. I can't feel it, Dad. No, just a little bit further. A little bit further. You feel it? There it is. Cool. Now put your weight on your left foot. And and now take your right foot off the branch it's on and we're going to go one step lower. And I, I was there with him every step of the way. God never leaves you. God never forsakes you. He's with you every step of the way. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.